This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my adorable service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be visiting with Dr. Ashley Mitek and Dr. Maureen McMichael from the University of Illinois Veterinary Teaching Hospital. And they're going to be talking with us today about the work that they're doing with law enforcement and veterinarians to help protect working dogs that encounter opioids in the line of duty. So this is a really increasing issue for working dogs and the ever-changing world that we live in today. So we're so thrilled that they can be with us to talk about the proactive, life-saving work that they're doing on behalf of working dogs. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Mitek and Dr. McMichael to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Dr. Mitek and Dr. McMichael, and welcome. So glad you could both be with us today to talk about this amazing work you're doing. Thanks. We're excited to be here. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're so glad both of you could because, wow, you're really doing some some cutting-edge work in in the whole area of treating opioid overdoses and working dogs, which is something that a lot of us don't think about when we think about working police canines. So tell us, how did you guys get started in this? Well, uh, we work frequently with working dogs here at the Veterinary Teaching Hospital. And we happened to have a working dog here who needed to have some dental work. Uh, That was a member of the Illinois State Police. And they are one of the agencies that's seizing a lot of the very potent narcotics that are on the streets today, like uh, fentanyl or car fentanyl containing products. And he had mentioned to us that they were worried about the dogs becoming exposed to these narcotics in the line of duty. And they were already carrying a uh, reversal agent called Narcan that they could give to people who they found were overdosed on drugs, in particular opioids uh, like heroin and fentanyl. 
And so Dr. McMichael and I had this idea that um, we could help teach them how to give Narcan or the reversal drug naloxone to the dogs. And it really just evolved from there. Wow. Dr. Mitek, when did you guys start that? Well, I think we started that almost a year ago. Um, I think it was around uh, September when we first started working with the Illinois State Police. And Dr. Rank Michael can talk a little bit more about it. She's been working with working dogs for many years now. And she was actually my mentor when I was a student here. So she already had some um, pre-existing connections to working dog communities and, and helping to train police in particular with the care of working dogs. So it was just kind of a natural uh, relationship that evolved. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Dr. McMichael, tell us, why are dogs now showing these signs of, of having negative interactions with these drugs after we've seen dogs, police dogs, um, drug dogs especially, for so long? What's changed that you're seeing? Well, yeah. So what's changed is if you think about there's a hierarchy of potency in these opioids. And heroin is a common street drug. And heroin is actually pretty complicated to make. You have to actually grow puppies. And, um, and heroin is not actually that potent. And what has happened is drug cartels have gotten hold of potent opioids that you can make in a lab. And they're much easier to make than growing poppies. And they're much, much, much more potent, which from a business point of view means that they're easier to ship because it's a smaller volume. So I'll give you an example. We have a schematic that we've created and it shows how to give the Narcan, the reversal, but it also shows the potency. And so morphine, if you think of morphine as 1x, heroin would be 2x. So it's two times as potent as morphine. A very common one that we're seeing a lot of now is fentanyl, and fentanyl is 100x. And then a much, much more potent one that we're starting to see more and more of is called carfentanil, and carfentanil is 10,000x. Oh, my goodness. So carfentanil is 10,000 times as potent as morphine and 5,000 times as potent as heroin. And so here's what happens. And Ashley and I both, every veterinarian learns about carfentanil in vet school because it's what you use to tranquilize an elephant. And you use that because you only need a small amount and the elephant will become tranquilized. So in carfentanil, truly a poppy seed size of the powder will kill a dog or a human. And so what's happening is dogs are going, particularly drug search dogs, are going into some areas and, of course, they use their nose, sniffing, and the tiniest amount of carfentanil can knock them down. And there have been reports of these dogs collapsing. In uh, There were a few in Florida. I think there was one in Maryland. Basically, all around the country, and the Illinois State Police said that they've seen several and so what happens is a dog sniffs, it gets a tiny amount of carfentanil, and it goes down. The first thing that these drugs do is stop them. They slow them down, then they stop the breathing, and eventually the heart will stop. And so you can reverse this with Narcan. And what we realize is that a lot of places have the Narcan, but they didn't know how to give it to dogs. 
Wow. Well, that is so fascinating. And and that is why I'm so glad you guys are on the show today, because I had heard about some of these cases and really wanted to talk about this because it's something that a lot of people are not aware of. So tell us, um, Dr. Mitek, how are dogs monitored for potential exposure um, to any drug that they've inhaled? Is it just from, from what starts happening to them or is there a process to monitor? Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's a great question. So a couple things to mention. One is that now that law enforcement is really familiar with fentanyl and they know that it's much more potent than heroin, which is the more common drug they had been seeing on the streets, anytime they go into a situation where they expect they may encounter an illegal drug and it could be fentanyl, they usually take some pretty serious precautions And many law enforcement agencies have even stopped using working dogs if they have a really high risk of being exposed to fentanyl. So they're doing the best they can to prevent it from happening or prevent their working dogs from being exposed in really high risk situations. But that said, the reason we use working dogs in law enforcement is because they can smell hundreds of thousands of times better than humans can. And in many situations, we would never find the drugs unless we had a working dog. And we're never going to be able to stop the opioid epidemic unless we can you know, stop the illicit drug sales. So in situations where they may just be going into a building and they have no idea what they're going to find in there, certainly the dog will always be on the hunt for the smell of the illegal narcotics. And then what the handlers are trained to do is to monitor the dogs really carefully. So a lot of the drugs, depending on the potency, so a lot of times the heroin is mixed in with the fentanyl or with the carfentanyl. And each batch of illegal drugs might be a slightly different potency depending upon how, you know, they quote unquote cook it. So in a really potent bag of narcotics, a dog may just kind of have their nose to the ground on carpet fibers and inhale a small amount and then really quickly within a couple of minutes start to exhibit clinical signs of overdose. And usually the first thing you'll start to see is they become really lethargic and sleepy, have kind of glassy eyes and just stare. And when the handler asks them to perform a certain job task or gives them a command, they kind of might just look at them weird and want to lay down. And so that's kind of the initial stages that we see is this lethargy. And then it can progress quite quickly to what Dr. McMichael was talking about, which is where it becomes life-threatening. And that's when they really start to slow down and they stop breathing. And of course, you have a very limited amount of time when that starts to happen, which is why it's really important that the handlers know how to be able to reverse the dogs with Narcan. So there's certainly some acute situations that happen, like the example I you know, just talked about where they may become clinical for it right away after a couple minutes after exposure, but it's often recommended that the handlers watch the dogs for at least 
30 minutes after they've gone into a new building on a search to make sure they don't have a delayed reaction. And that would be a little bit more unusual to see because usually the drug is absorbed really rapidly through the nasal mucosa of the dog while they're sniffing. But after about 30 minutes, if they're not exhibiting clinical signs, I'd say it's probably unlikely they inhaled a toxic amount. Wow. Well, and I have a question to follow up on that, Dr. McMichael. How long once a dog is exposed, and I guess it depends on how much exposure they had, but about how long does a handler, if they start seeing some of the the signs that Dr. Mitek was identifying of drowsiness or lethargic behavior, how long do they have to get to a veterinarian or someplace for care? They don't have much time at all, and that's the main reason for us to show them how to give the naloxone in the field, because if a veterinarian is even 15 minutes away and the dog collapses and stops breathing, there won't be enough time. 15 minutes will not make it. And so it's pretty concerning, and that's if they're local. You know, if there's a local veterinarian, if they're out in the woods or somewhere, you know, in a meth lab in the middle of nowhere... It could be 25 minutes before they can get somewhere. So a lot of first responders have naloxone, and for them to be able to give it to the dog could be absolutely be life-saving. Yeah, that's what it was sounding like, which is why I was wondering how long they would actually have. Well, tell us about the reversal kits and, and the work that you're doing to train officers to administer naloxone. Is that, I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but yeah, tell us about no, you're, how. You are, you are. Oh, good. Okay, good. Well, yeah, tell us how yeah. you're training them to actually administer that in the field. So naloxone is the generic name and Narcan is the proprietary name and it's the same substance. So naloxone comes either in an injectable form that is given to a human intramuscular, so in their little muscle, or it can be given intranasal. And the intranasal form is different. It doesn't have a needle on it. And so some first responders have the intranasal form only, and some have the intramuscular form only, and some may have both. So we have been showing them both methods. We've been showing them which muscles to give the injection in in the dog, and we've been showing them how to give it intranasally. In one minute, I'm going to have you talk to Dr. Mitek about the intranasal because we're not sure if it works. However, we hope that it does and we think that it does. So if someone has the intranasal form, we suggest they use it. So we've done this a couple of ways. We made a video and we put it on YouTube. The video showed us giving an intramuscular injection to my dog, who's a German Shepherd, and also giving intranasal. We then made a Narcan schematic, and it's sort of a very simple schematic that shows if what signs a dog would have and if they're suspected how much to give and how to give it. And then we have been going to different places. So we went to the Illinois State Police. We have trained the Arrow Ambulance crew here in Champaign. And we're doing different trainings, showing different people how to do it. And we use, we usually use our, um, we call him Critical Care Jerry. He's a dummy dog and he's a fake dog, not a dumb dog, a fake dog. <laughs> and we show them how to give that. 
That's awesome. Well, and I have had the pleasure of seeing some of your YouTube videos. They're wonderful. So it's so great that you guys are getting that really good, clear information out there about what and how to administer that. Well, we are going to take just a quick few seconds and hear some important messages from our sponsors. So come right back as we continue our conversation because I have more questions and want to hear more about some of the programs that you guys and projects that you're working on related to working dogs and the opioid epidemic. So come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Get the stinky dog away from me. Bad breath and bad gas. Petey stopped eating. All his hair fell out. Itching, licking, missing fur. At least $5,000 in vet bill. Creams, antibiotics, sprays. No results. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. The shedding is stopped and the itching is stopped. Her coat is not soft, it's silky, it's healthy and shiny and glossy. She's got life, she's got energy. Tons of energy, no more bad smell. Dynavite's the bomb. Dynavite is the best thing that's ever happened to my dogs, you know, besides me, of course. (laughs) 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're so excited to have Dr. Mytek and Dr. McMichael here today talking about the wonderful work that they're doing at the University of Illinois Veterinary Teaching Hospital. And before the break, we were talking about the work that you've done and the YouTube videos that you guys have created that are so great that are training officers. And so we wanted to hear more about some of the things that you're doing. And I know you mentioned Quickly, I think it was Dr. McMichael, you mentioned about your ambulance when there's transport. Can you talk more about that and your treat and transport protocol that you guys have developed? Yes, absolutely. So up until very recently, police dogs that are injured in the line of duty could not be transported by human ambulances. And recently, several states, including New York, Illinois, Ohio, have enacted legislation to allow that. What's missing is a protocol for transport. So when an ambulance driver gets in the ambulance, they know exactly where to take the human, the injured human, because hospitals are on alert for trauma or for different emergencies. But there is no such transport protocol for dogs. And so the first part of what we're doing is creating a transport protocol with a fillable form that will prompt ambulance services to ideally create it in advance before any emergency happens to have a contact with a local veterinarian, to have the phone numbers they need, to have the muzzle they need and all of that. The other part of that is the treatment protocol and that's for ambulances and the ambulance personnel to know how to restrain a police dog, how to muzzle a police dog, particularly not to use a tight muzzle but to use a basket muzzle to have those in advance, 
and how to do emergency life-saving treatment such as Narcan reversal, potentially intubating, putting a, a tube down the throat to breathe for the dog, and CPR. And so we're training local ambulance crews and we are creating some online training materials for other ambulance crews to be able to use so that we can optimize the care for these dogs. Oh, that's so wonderful. So you're doing the training there locally now, but you are developing and hoping to have much larger audience that could access this because, gosh, that's so important, but I'm sure it does take some specific training. So when do you think, Dr. McMichael, that the training will be available, the online training? We're, we're hoping it'll be available by June of 2018. Oh, that's pretty soon. That's awesome. Wow. And so the other trainings that you do where you actually are training officers in how to administer the Narcan reversal, tell us, you talked a little bit about that earlier, but tell us a little bit more about how you're doing those training sessions. How long do they last? How can officers get that? Give us some details. So one of the things we've done is it works out best if we have a large group because then we can do it, we can be a little bit more efficient. So we went to Springfield and there are about a hundred canine officers who have dogs and we were able to, we use a combination of PowerPoint and some hands-on and some schematics and some handouts to go through the Narcan reversal. And we did in that session, we did some CPR. We did a little bit about heat stroke. Heat stroke is a really big deal in these dogs. And we did a little bit on dentistry. So it, it sounds kind of silly to talk about dentistry when you're talking about CPR and, and death, but dentistry is actually a big deal in police dogs because most local veterinarians, when they see the police dog, the police dog has a muzzle on and they do not do a, an oral exam on that dog. And so training officers how to do an oral exam on their own dog can be really helpful in preventing dental disease. Yeah, I know for Lovey, I'm always watching her teeth and making sure that I brush them every day because you're right, the dental care is just so vital for these working dogs. It is, and it's a sign of other things that are going on too. So I appreciate okay. you saying that. And there was something yeah. you mentioned earlier, Dr. McMichael, that I want to ask Dr. Mitek, and that was you, you said that there are two ways to administer the Narcan, either intranasally or in the muscles. So, Dr. Mitek, can you talk a little bit more about that and what you're seeing? Yeah. So, there's two different formulations of naloxone available right now. And one is an intramuscular formulation, which can also be used intravenously. And we use that here at the Veterinary Teaching Hospital very frequently when patients come out of anesthesia and they're still a little bit too sleepy and we need to waken them up a little bit and help them breathe better on their own. And that would be the, the intravenous formulation and the intramuscular formulation is the same thing that you might frequently see used at a human hospital for a similar reason. And with the use of illegal drugs, and in particular, now that we see this big uptick in the use of uh, fentanyl or fentanyl-containing products, because it's becoming more and more common that people are overdosing and they need to be reversed really rapidly in the field to save their life, there was an intranasal formulation that was uh, created for use. And if you think about how the how the body's set up, we can certainly give drugs in a vein, um, and that can very quickly reach their brain um, and take effect. And then most mammals, 
inside their nose, we have a little bit of a surface that we refer to as a mucosa and kind of like a surface that is the inside of your mouth, your gums. And many drugs, including naloxone, can be absorbed through that mucosa. And when it comes to using it in dogs, we don't have any official studies saying for certain that naloxone works going across their mucous membrane in their mouth or their nose. But we can look at data from humans and know that it works really, really well. And it's almost as rapid effect as if you gave it in their vein um, when you look at the data from, from humans. So particularly in this situation where a dog could be exposed to a fentanyl-containing product and stop breathing in the field, like Dr. Michael mentioned earlier, we need to be able to treat them right away. And it's a lot easier to teach somebody how to squirt something up a dog's nose versus to teach them how to find a vein or how to give a drug in their muscle. And the other thing that we commented on earlier, I think, is that uh, a lot of law enforcement are already carrying the intranasal formulation, which kind of squirts a mist up the nose. And so it's kind of uh, easier, I think, to see that being used in the field versus the intravenous one. But there are people studying this at the moment. Um, We just don't have that official data yet. But anecdotally, it seems to work quite well that way. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that about the law enforcement officers having it in the field. And I, I think I heard you guys talk about a reversal kit. And how do officers get that? Dr. McMichael, can they get them for free? Or is it something that they have to really go out and can be cumbersome to obtain? So Illinois has created a law that makes naloxone over-the-counter, and they've done this so that it does not require a prescription. Police are getting it from, so they're able to get it for human use. What's not clear if they need a prescription for veterinary use. And so we have given the naloxone to our local group as a prescriber, and police can use, they can work with their veterinarians to get a prescription for the naloxone, but then it can be purchased over the counter and you can get it in Walgreens. And this was because of the Illinois Heroin Crisis Act, where so many people on heroin are overdosing and the families of, you know, teenagers or young people would find them collapsed and wouldn't have any way to resuscitate them. And so now the recommendation is families have the reversal kit, police officers have it, ambulances all have it. And not every police car has one, but many of them do. That's wonderful. And it's so great that it's becoming so readily available at Walgreens. I mean, that's what we need for as many working dogs as are out there in the field. They need that immediate access. So that's wonderful. I know I have to say I picked up a prescription for my retired dog whistle from Walgreens yesterday. So it's so Mm -hmm. nice to be able to get that. And you mentioned Dr. Mitek briefly about the research project that's being done now to look at, at that and the intranasal and see how that's working. Are there any other research projects that you guys are engaged in or, or that you know of in this area of opioid research and working dogs? Yeah, we have, you know, with our collaborators, the Illinois State Police, and then the emergency medicine doctors at our nearby Level 1 human hospital, Level 1 Trauma Center, we've worked with a couple of emergency medicine doctors um, who help train EMS and paramedics. 
And the current research we're working on now is trying to, one, gauge and understand first responders' comfort in giving naloxone to working dogs and also looking specifically at canine handlers and understanding and collecting data. Are they comfortable giving their dog the naloxone product in the muscle? Are they comfortable giving it in their nose? And then we give them a a training session where Dr. McMichael and myself and a few others speak. And then we follow up with another survey project or survey for them to complete and see if that improved their comfort level in treating the dogs. And and so, we one, we need to collect the data to understand where do law enforcement and first responders need help in treating the dogs. And then the second thing we're looking at is making sure that the educational efforts we're providing them are actually effective and beneficial to the care of the working dogs. And it's our hope that when we collect all this data, which we've started to do, and then hopefully publish a paper on it, other people can look at that as a model for how can they also help working dogs maybe in other countries because the opioid epidemic isn't just affecting people here in the U.S. It's, you know, all over Europe as well. And so hopefully with with this continued research and understanding more of the problem and collaborating with the handlers and the human doctors and other individuals kind of on the front lines, we'll kind of just continue to understand more about the problem. Yeah, it is definitely a global problem, unfortunately. But that's so exciting what you're capturing and we'll be able to use that to help so many working dogs. It's just, it's wonderful. So I know we're about to be out of time, but I I did want to ask you one last quick question. And that is, it sounds like all these things are so wonderful, but I know funding for these things is an issue. Is there anything that's available to working dogs when they have issues, lots of medical issues as a result of their work in the field? Yeah, that's a great question, and um, I'm glad that you brought that up because here at the Veterinary Teaching Hospital, I think I may have mentioned a little earlier, we do see a large volume of working dogs from various different agencies, and sometimes they can have quite serious injuries. And it can be challenging for those agencies to fully come up with the funds. And certainly everybody comes to the table and tries really hard to make that happen. And it's our college's policy that we always give a 50% discount to the police dogs and the working dogs we see. But we'd like to take that burden off of the agencies and the individuals who work with working dogs. And we're currently in the process of creating a fund for them. And so that's something that your listeners can stay tuned for in the future. But we feel very strongly that every working dog should have the highest level of care. And it's an added burden to have to worry about money in those situations. And uh, it's our hope that the fund can help alleviate those issues and give the best care to the dogs who absolutely deserve to have the best. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I'm so glad to hear that, that that will be coming and we will stay tuned and hope that you'll come back and give us more information about that. And before I, I let you go today, I want to ask you, Dr. McMichael, how can our listeners get more information about you guys and the program if they're interested or have questions or want to get more information about the reversal kits or your training? How can they reach you to? 
So one thing they could do is they could go to the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine website, and there's some information on there. And we've actually created a website, Dr. Mitek and I have created a website where we've posted all of the information we have, and it's www.workingdoghq.com. And there we have posted the Narcan reversal schematic. We've posted some PowerPoint slides and we've posted the video. Oh, wonderful. Free for download for anybody. Oh, wonderful. Well, we will definitely make that website location available on our website, too, so that our listeners can have that link so that they can get to that. That's wonderful. So, Dr. Mitek and Dr. McMichael, thank you so much for being with us today. And we really hope that you'll come back and tell us more, because I know that you're going to have more exciting things to reveal to us as you continue your amazing work. So, thank you so much. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah. It was great to be here. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love for you to join us, and we love to hear from you. So please keep posting on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you know that we love seeing photos of your working dog, and we love hearing about the incredible work that they're doing for you every day. So let's stay connected. And keep your questions, comments, or ideas for shows coming to me at email at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thanks so much for being with us, and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.